0: So as we're talking about the genealogy idea and uh, the prequels, here's one of the things that should stand out. On one side of the coin, you have some that are coming before Jesus but are not exactly the kind of examples that we would want to follow. And then on the other side of the coin... We have some that come before Jesus and are amazing examples to follow. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what's shaped large parts of my life. And that has been watching and observing people. And I particularly did this as a young man. And I've mentioned this before, but I would watch my brothers run into the brick wall of my dad. And I would just watch this stuff, go on. And I would watch them run into dad, and the outcome was never good. <laughs> and so as I'm watching my brothers do this stuff, I'm saying to myself, I don't need to do that. I think there is a different way to go about things than to run into the brick wall of debt. But it doesn't just stop there, does it? Any of you have a project that you're trying to do and so you go to YouTube? Okay. How many of you, you open the box, it's now the Christmas afternoon, or now today, the day after Christmas, you open the box, you take the instructions and you put it aside, you then look at everything and try to make it. Or how many of you open the box, take out the instructions, read the instructions, And then try putting it together. See, that's the tension we're talking about. And I've had a chance to kind of watch. And I was sitting to watch people. And I would watch people run into the brick wall of life. These are the kind of conversations I have with my sons at different times. And I say, guys, I'm seeing you kind of run into the brick wall of life. Can you try to do this differently sometimes? And I will have this conversation with others. And I'll say, "I'm I'm watching the choices you're making. And you're kind of running into brick walls. Have you considered doing some things differently? Now, in the midst of all of that, you watch other individuals, and you watch some people who are running into brick walls, and you watch other people who are navigating life incredibly well. And so you kind of look at that and you say, well, that now you see those guys over here that are kind of crashing and burning, they're bruised and they're battered, they're wearing splints and casts, they have black eyes and abrasions, and over here, you have a whole nother group of people. They are moving through life, and they're doing well. They don't have black eyes. They don't have bruises. They don't have splints. They don't have casts because they're not running into things. Have you considered listening to that? And again, we see that whole tension between those who come before and those that have taken place around us. And so for me today, I want to focus in on Jesus because I would say to us, now I said it, I may, I, as I titled things and as I put it in the notes, I said, Jesus, my prequel. But really, if you're in Jesus, he should also be your prequel. And we have the opportunity in the journey of life to learn from those who come before and to learn from those around us that are doing things well, or we can still run into things. Does anyone enjoy running into things? Seldom. Well, a little bit once in a while, right? Seldom. I remember one time. It kind of ruined me on go-karts. We were down in Ocean City, not New Jersey, but Maryland with a a bunch of friends and we're busy going around the golf cart. And I'm, as you all know me, I'm not competitive at all. And uh, so as we're going, I'm not going slow, I'm going as fast as this stupid cart will go. And I'm weaving in and out And then someone in front of me stops. I'm up out of my seat, whack my head on the crossbar up top. Yeah, you're strapped in, but you you still whack your head pretty good. You know, and I said to myself, I think I'm just going to finish this out and I'm done with the go-karts for now. You know, I just was pushing it. We don't enjoy getting whacked. It's not fun. It's not fun we can do things different. So I want to look at Jesus, some of the prequels, and some of the things that Jesus did that I really appreciate. And so we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into it. Let's pray together. Father, as we take some time this morning to look at the, some of the things that Jesus did that were just, just such great examples for us, and things that we can learn to walk in and to live in, Father, I would just ask that you would guide us and, and help us. And help us to kind of follow after him and to do as well as we can learning to walk in his footsteps. Father, I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Number one, he taught me about spending time with the Father. As I think of the examples and the things that Jesus did, he taught me about spending time with the Father. And I'm going to start in Luke chapter uh, 5 verses 15 to 16. He says, But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would gather together to hear him to be healed of their sickness. Okay, And so people were looking for Jesus, clamoring around Jesus, and yet this is what he said, Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. In the midst of the hecticness, the craziness, in the midst of the push and pull of life, and, and the demands of life, excuse me, Jesus' response was to take quiet time and to go have a conversation with the Father. Enough so that as he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mountain, and, and, as, and as he walked through the Beatitudes, and, and, and as he was asked at different times, teach us to pray. We read this and we see this in Matthew 5. And, and I won't go through all of this, but then Jesus in this conversation, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love pray to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. Okay, again, we've all kind of heard people, and they, they start to pray, and they go, Oh God, thou most heavenly Father, and they, they, they pray, and they're really not having a conversation. They're praying for you. They're praying for you to listen, and you are the audience. But God isn't the audience. And when we're praying, who's the audience? Yes, God is the audience. And even if someone is praying and leading up here, you aren't the audience. We might be leading you in prayer, but you aren't the audience. The audience is God. We are, should be walking you to, or ushering in you, you into the presence of God, inviting you to join with us as we have a conversation with God. But you aren't the audience. God is the audience. And he continues. He says, But when you pray, go into your private room, Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows these things, knows the things you need before you even ask him. And he said, therefore, pray like this. And he he goes into a conversation. He says, guys, this is how I would encourage you to pray. These are some ideas that you should enter into and think about as you pray. Now, one of the things I discover in the whole journey of, of prayer is that as you spend time with people, you develop intimacy. And part of the whole idea of prayer is to have a conversation, but also in that journey, you're developing intimacy. Now, did anyone watch any football yesterday? All right. A couple of us. I was watching football yesterday. I, I enjoy football. And one of those... Uh, commercials you see, you'll often see these Baker Mayfield commercials about his house, right? You know, which is the stadium. And then you have this one where he gets the boots that are actually supposed to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and so he walks him across the street, and there's Alice Cooper who answers the door and that kind of stuff. And so we're having this conversation, and, and and so as we're sitting there as a family kind of watching football, Joan goes, did I hear that Alice Cooper became a follower of Jesus? And I said, I don't know. And so you know what you do, right? When you have a question, you Google it. And so I looked it up and said, did Alice Cooper become a... He did. Back in the 80s, he made a decision for Christ. And he's, he's a guy who's actually kind of grown in his journey. But the little bit I was looking at there talked about the fact that... Now, here's what's the interesting thing, too. He was also a pastor's kid. And so he grew up in the context of a Christian home, but... Faith wasn't personal for him, and a walk with Jesus wasn't personal for him in the beginning stage of his journey. But as he got married, he has this career, that his music that he's doing, he's, he's starting to pour himself, or pour his life, into a bottle of alcohol, and it's starting to trash his life, it's starting to trash his marriage. And so in the process, he turned back to the faith he grew up in, and he turned back to Christ. But one of the things he said, one of the little snippets that I saw there is, part of the initial drive of him to come back to Jesus was fear for the consequences of sin and the fear of going to hell. But here's what's interesting. Sometimes one set of things drive us, but the things that drive us to initially respond to Jesus and the things that drive us to initially consider the options of Christ don't need to be the things that continue to drive the bus. They don't need to be the things that continue to dictate the nature of our relationship. When we learn to spend time with God, we learn to enter into a relationship with Him that's very different than one based upon fear or intimidation or judgment. We learn to discover that God loves us. We learn an intimacy with God, in a conversation with God, that we get to learn to have in the flow of life. One of the things I love about what Jesus did is that Jesus modeled what it meant to learn to have a conversation with the Father and develop intimacy with the Father by spending time with Him in prayer. So when you look at things that are modeled, and one of the things that we can pick up, one of those things we can start to apply to our life that help us to live life without smashing into things, learning to be a person who goes to God and has a conversation with God regularly in prayer. The next thing that stood out to me is that he saw and cared about people. Jesus had eyes for people to care about people. I just want to hit a number. Number. I'm just going to go to John and kind of go a couple chapters in a row because you just see it. Boom, boom, boom. Just Jesus caring about people. So you go to John chapter four verses. I'm not just going to. Go, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just John four one to seven. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went uh, again to Galilee. Now, catch the language. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, if you all want to go to Pittsburgh, do you have to travel through Philadelphia? No. Do you have to go through King of Prussia? No. There are other ways to get there besides having to go through Philly or King of Prussia. You can avoid the Schuylkill. You can avoid that part of the turnpike. You can go a different way. You don't have to go that way. And in fact... Most of the time, when the Jews went from Galilee to Jerusalem, or Jerusalem to Galilee, they did not go through Samaria. They avoided Samaria like the plague. Because they didn't like the Samaritans. But I love what it said. But he had to travel through Samaria. Why? Why? Because Jesus had an appointment with somebody. They didn't know it yet, but Jesus had an appointment. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a woman of Samaria came to give draw water Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was ready to have a conversation with a woman who was going to draw water from the well, a woman that no one in town really wanted to interact with because she was a bad girl. And yet Jesus was going to have a conversation with her and her life was changed and transformed and also that of the town. Why? Because Jesus cares about people. Go on to chapter 5. You have your Bible there. You're like me, just whipping through technology. You just slipped on down. Again, look at, look at the beginning of chapter 5. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which, which has five colonnades. When, within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get up? Do you want to get well? sir?" So the, there's a the whole conversation that people have about that whole debate, do you want to get well? And we can have this conversation at some point in time in our culture, because this is a big debate do we want to complain about things, or do we want to get well? Do we want to grumble and gripe, or do we want to get well? What, what, what's really the agenda? Sir, the, disdable, dis, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the water when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus said to him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, again, the whole issue... They were all ticked off in the temple because Jesus healed a man on a, on a Sabbath. day. and on top of that horror above horrors, this man was carrying his, bath, his bed mat home on the Sabbath. He rolled it up and he was carrying it home. Shoom, shame, shame. you shouldn't you're not, you're not supposed to do that, apparently. And, um, but Jesus saw this guy, cared about him, healed him. Why? Because Jesus has eyes for people. Well, let's keep writing and going. John chapter 6, just look a little bit more. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up to a mountain, and um, so this is when he's about to feed the 4,000, Okay. He's been doing miracles, he's been healing people, and he's took his disciples, and they went to another spot, and the crowds are looking for him, and when they realized where he was, uh, it w- was, they all start moving. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near, so Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, and he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? It says, he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Jesus already knew. We're going to feed everybody. Why? Because Jesus sees the crowds and he cares about them. He cares about them. Jesus cares about people. Let me just hit a couple more. Matthew five. Excuse me, Matthew six. Nope. How about Matthew eight? I pushed the button in the wrong direction. Matthew eight. He says when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, Am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority. Having soldiers under my command, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you, that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons, and it goes on. But Jesus finishes up, verse 13. Jesus told the centurion, go as as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Now, this guy is not part of the family. Not part of the family. Jesus cared about him healed the man's servant. See, there's actually two people being cared about there. It was the centurion who was not part of the family and the servant who was not part of the family. Both were responded to and both were cared about. How about one more? John chapter 11. Verses 33 to 35. This is at Lazarus. And um, he's died. We remember this story. And Jesus waited. And while he waited, Lazarus died. Mary's coming up to him to have a conversation and say something. It says, when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And just what they say is the shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. He cared. He cared for. His friends who lost a brother and he cared for his friend who'd passed. Now we know that Jesus was planning on raising him. We understand that. We know that story. And yet still in the midst of all of that context, as Jesus is in- interacting with and engaging with these individuals that he cares about, he wept. Why? Because he cares about people. I learned a really important thing in ministry as I've talked to people. And, and the role that God seemed to have, seems to have given me in the context of life of a church is to help churches that have struggled to shift to a place of health and, and moving forward in a positive way again. And, and invariably in that conversation, one of the things that has just stood out to me more than anything else, ministry is about people much more than it's about structures and forms and frameworks. It's about people. And we as individuals should be seeing people and caring about people and observing people and investing in people. We look at the ministry of Jesus and we watch how Jesus functioned. We watch the things that Jesus did. And he cared about people. Number three. He did not live pursuing his agenda. We really see this in the prayer of Gethsemane. So let's go there. It's in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 44. It says, Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray taking along peter and the two sons of zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled he said to them i am deeply grieved to the point of death remain here and stay awake with me going a little further he fell face down and prayed my father if it is possible possible let this cup pass from me yet not as i will but as you will then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he asked Peter, So you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again a second time he went away and he prayed, "By Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. You ever have those moments? When you know you should, but you're, you're, you're so tired, you fall asleep. That's what's going on with the disciples. And after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying to them once more, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to me, Are you going to sleep and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. See, my betrayer is near. Now, what's going on? Jesus is willing to go to the cross but as it's looming it's about time to walk through the door. Father, I'm willing to go through that door but if there's another way could you open that other door? If there's another path could you identify that other path? Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. He's willing to follow the Father's lead. He's willing to go and to do and to pursue what is important to the Father. He did not live pursuing His agenda. He chose to live to pursue the Father's agenda. Again, we see this in John chapter 12, verse 50. I just, it's just a simple statement. Jesus is in the midst of a conversation, but He finishes his statement and says, I know that this command is eternal life so the things that I speak I speak just as the Father has told me even as we come back to the conversations and the things that Jesus is saying he is guarding his words and being careful with his words so that he is saying those things that the Father wants said do you ever get yourself in trouble by saying something that you decided you wanted to say All do at different times Jesus guarded his words and said what the father wanted said instead of saying the things that he felt he needed to say now I'd also have to say I think if Jesus was saying the things that he felt he needed to say I think it would be probably perfectly appropriate right in line and would probably not be a problem I don't expect it would ever be a problem at all but he chose to discipline himself to guard himself and to speak what the father desired Why? Because Jesus was choosing to live not according to his agenda. Jesus was not choosing to live for the things that he wanted. He was choosing to live for the things that are important to the Father. He pursued the Father's agenda. That's a huge example that we should follow. That's a huge thing that we should learn. Now, how about the next one? He modeled... How to live in the power of the Spirit? This is huge. This is another huge one for me in my worldview. Two verses I'm going to put in front of you. The first is, you might kind of go, "Whoop, back up!" Well, I'll explain my thought. Says this is right after Jesus is baptized. The next you know, we see the, the Spirit descending like a dove and resting on Jesus. And then it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we read through that and and we read how he's there for 40 days and there's a, a, three major areas where Jesus is being tempted. But as Jesus, as the Spirit fell on Jesus, he followed the lead and followed the direction of the Spirit In his life. Now, I think there's at least two major reasons why the Holy Spirit led him into the desert and allowed him to be tempted. I think, number one, he did it to model trusting. There's a whole process here of of Jesus trusting and resting on the Father and resting on the Spirit. And I think there's a huge example of the model of trusting. But here's the other thing. Jesus is beginning a three-year ministry that leads to going to the cross. And Jesus knows exactly what is coming. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. And the Spirit leads him first into the desert to be tempted. Do you think Jesus would not experience any further temptations during those three years? No, in fact, as you look at the text, it says, and An evil one left him to look for other opportunities to tempt. And over those next three years, Jesus would continue to be tempted, would be continued to be tried, and there would be things laid before Jesus to encourage him to exit stage right, to pursue his agenda instead of pursuing the Father's agenda. Jesus walked this process, preparing, setting his course, setting his mind, setting his heart, setting his ad- attention. On the path before him, not to give space and not to give room to the evil one. One other thing, one other section of verses stands out, and we won't read the whole thing because it's a, it's a larger conversation. But Jesus is accused of not doing things through the power of God. We see this in Matthew chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 22 to 24, and we'll talk about the rest. It says, Then a demon possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowd was astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Now pause for a second. What's going on is everyone is looking at him and said, Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? Now the religious leaders, with all this going on, with Jesus possibly, could this be the Messiah thing going on? They don't want the Messiah to show up because the Messiah showing up will ruin their deal. Again, they're not interested in following God's agenda, they're about following their agenda. They've had enough difficulty with Herod, they've had enough difficulty with Rome... The Messiah showing up is an inconvenience. And so they respond to this. And when the Pharisees heard this, we've got to respond, we've got to tamp this down, we've got to shut people up on this language. No, 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 no. The man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. He's not doing this by the power of God. This is all a sham. He's doing this for the power of Satan. And Jesus reacts in response, and he rebukes them. Because he says, you're trying to say that what I'm doing is by the power of the devil. And you're going to have a problem with God because what I'm doing is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a problem with God. Even as we look at the ministry that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived his life through the power of the Spirit of God. He didn't live his life through the power of Jesus. He lived his life through the power of the Spirit. Now this is huge. Huge, huge. we talked about this before, but i got to say it again. This is huge for us because you and I, we can learn to live a life of victory the way Jesus learned, to. Jesus lived a life of victory because he lived his life to the power of the Spirit of God working in him. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come in, taken up residence in your life, placed his Spirit inside of you and to empower you, to lead you into truth, to lead you into the direction that God wants you to go in the very presence of the Spirit of God is in your life, just as the presence of the Spirit of God was present in Jesus' life. The authority, the power, the ability to live the life that God wants you to live is in your hands because the Spirit of God is in you if you're willing to follow His lead and follow His direction and prodding in your life. This is huge. Because God did not leave us powerless. He left us with the power to live in victory Every day. If we'll follow the example that's been said. How about one more? He was real. I really appreciate the fact that Jesus was real. I'm just going to look at verses 33 and 34. And Jesus is responding in... um, He's, he's kind of rebuking the religious leaders and, and the people today because um, this is their words and their language for him, but Jesus is kind of putting it back at them. He says, Yeah, for John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. He's got, he's a problem. And then the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's interesting to me is that the designation that the religious and other people gave that were pro- troubled with Jesus' life is they said, oh, he's a friend of sinners. Now, have you ever interacted with Christians that drive you nuts? And they are, and you, and you as a Christian, you're, you're like in the same space that they are? And you will say to people, you, you won't say to people, I'm a follower of Jesus. And you won't say, I'm a follower of Jesus because there's this other Christian really acting like an idiot or just being obnoxious or just for the whole way they're conducting themselves. You're going, oh, don't even want to in any way, shape, or form be associated with. Because the very way that they're acting, the very way they're conducting yourself is annoying and irritating to people around them. Jesus wasn't like that. Now, Jesus was real. Jesus was a normal guy in so many ways, and, and he was the kind of person that people enjoyed being around. He, but he wasn't like in your face, in your, in your like. ah. He now he told the truth. I, I still come back to the whole 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 thing with that the woman is caught in adultery. And he turns to, to everyone who shows up because they're trying to catch Jesus. And he turns to everyone showing up with the stones. He says, okay, the one without sin, go ahead, throw away. Okay, you're, you're, you're bringing me, you're, you're, you want to throw the scripture in my face and you, you guys want to test me. Okay, it, the, then those of you without sin, throw away. Now, when they all left, he didn't leave the woman off the hook. Because the scripture says they all left from the oldest to the youngest because the oldest left because they knew they were more guilty than the younger ones. The younger ones were too too stubborn and stupid to be willing to admit that they really are as flawed as they are. It took them a bit of time to acknowledge that, but they all left. But he didn't say to the woman, go back to your lover. He says, well, it looks like all of your accusers are gone. Stop doing what you're doing. He didn't give people a pass on the things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, but he wasn't a jerk about it. He was real. And again, for me in our journey, we need to watch and conduct ourselves and examine ourselves. We we need to stand for the truth. Jesus didn't waver in standing for the truth. But he was real about it. He was a real guy, but not an obnoxious one, not an annoying one. For me, in my worldview, view, it's huge. So as I conduct myself, what is the goal? My goal is to conduct myself in such a way that I, I draw people to Christ. Not that I win the debate and tell them they're wrong. And they go away grumbling, but not thinking about it, or responding in a positive way to Jesus. The goal is to help people respond in a positive way to the things of God. In Jesus... It's clear he was conscious about that. He was seeking to draw people to the Father, not create barriers and blocks that hindered. So, for me, these five things he taught me about spending time with the Father. Because I've got to be honest with you, as I think of Aspects of Alice Cooper's journey into walking with God and, and, and beginning and starting the journey with fear and intimidation and not wanting to fry in hell. That's how I started my journey with Christ. I didn't want to burn. But that has shifted in my life. I want to know the Lord and I want to walk with Him. So, learning to spend time with the Father is, is really huge. He cared about people. He did not pursue his agenda. He modeled how to live in the power of the Spirit. And he was real. i got to tell you, as we look at those who come before us, these are great examples to follow in the life of Jesus. And if we could learn to appropriate them and follow them in our lives... They will do wonders for us in our journey with Christ in the way that we get to be have an opportunity to reflect the character of Jesus to the world around us as they think about who Jesus is and their need for him we 're going to shift gears and we're going to take the offering in a minute. The music team is going to come up and i 'm going to have a word of prayer and I just want to say thanks to you all for being here. It's great to celebrate the day after Christmas with everybody and to refocus and reorient on the things of the Lord. And Christmas and all that stuff is wonderful, and yet it's also can be a distraction. And so I want to commend you for coming back and worshiping the Lord and celebrating Him and honoring Him and spending time thinking about God's Word. I hope you go back into this week and have a great week celebrating Jesus. I want to encourage you to go back in this week thinking about the things we're talking about and say, okay, then how do I shift to reflect those things that Jesus has put before me to live well? I encourage you to think about that this week. But I also have you have, hope you have a great week, and maybe you're going to spend some time this coming week thinking, okay, what's next you're going to bring, and what are the adjustments and things that maybe I need to make? So I don't know if you're a big New Year's uh, resolution person or not, but maybe today we've given you a few things to chew on and some things to think about. But let's have a word of prayer. We'll ask the guys to come. We'll ask the music team to come back and sing and have a great week. Father, I thank you so much for your richness and your goodness to us. Father, I thank you that you free us to walk with you and to know you without needing to be afraid of you but rather, Father, to learn to really love you and to rejoice in you and to celebrate you. Father, as we prepare to give back and as we look at this offering, Lord, we would ask that you would be exalted and glorified in what is given, that you would be seen and heard exalted through what is taking place. Lord, you are awesome in so many ways. Be exalted as we give back and as we say thank you for the amazingness of who you are. Follow we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.